0: But as we wrap up our series on the generous church and as we encourage our congregation to fill out and to respond, but fill out by responding to that uh, call to action in your bulletin that you received the past few weeks and respond generously through giving and respond generously through service, what I want to do to wrap up this series briefly this morning is to talk about the generous church in action. And our passage for this morning is going to be Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2 gives us a picture and a perspective of the early church, the first church. and. And Acts chapter 2 is that great scene in the Bible where it's called Pentecost, where the Spirit of the living God descends upon the people of God. And uh, people are moved. People respond. And we get a snapshot of what does this church really look like? Uh, the last few weeks we've talked about what moves a church to be generous but I want to talk about this morning what does that generous church look like in action and I can't think of a better place to look in scripture than Acts chapter 2 to see what does this church look like in the flesh what does it look like what did they do Uh, because it's my opinion that Acts chapter 2 Basically deals with every single aspect that we talked about the last few weeks. It shows us a church responding generously with their, with their treasure. It shows a church responding generously with their welcome of others. And it shows a church generously serving their community and ultimately their world. In fact, in verse 46, it says, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive food with glad and generous Heart. So, no better way to wrap up our series on generosity than looking to the church that was marked with a generous heart. So, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. It says, Then they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those that were being saved. And the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord, thankfully, the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. Don't talk about it. Be about it. Don't talk about it. Be about it. I met a guy a few weeks ago who said that's kind of my motto in life. Don't talk about it. Be about it. This is my, he said this is my motto in work and family and life that basically what he says is talk is cheap. And if action does not back up your words, then your words mean very little. Talk about it. Don't talk about it. Be about it. And I can't think of a better picture uh, in Scripture than a church here in Acts chapter 2 that says, we're not just going to talk about being generous. We're just not going to talk about the gospel. We're actually going to be about it. We're not just going to talk about generosity. We're going to be about generosity. And so what I want us to answer the question this morning is what happens to a church or better yet, what is the fruit or the response of a church that is generous? What is the fruit and the response of a church that gets and is captured by this call to generosity? First thing that we see here in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 42 through 47, right there in verse 42, we see that this church is devoted to certain things. There is a devotion. There isn't a, a um, casual approach to life and Christianity. There is a heartfelt devotion in response to the generous offer of God. And the first thing that we see here in Acts chapter 2 is a devotion to learning, There is a devotion to learning for this early church. And what are they committed to? It says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now the apostles' teaching are the scriptures. It would be the apostles' teaching that would eventually make up what is known as the the New Testament, the New Testament scriptures. And that's what the apostles' teachings were. Now it's interesting that you'll often hear in the church today, inside the church, you might. Have heard it before, uh, but you 've heard it said we don 't need theology we don 't need doctrine, theology being the study of God, who doesn 't need the study of God, but you 'll often hear people say we don 't need theology, we don 't need doctrine, we just need the experience. If we have the experience, if we feel the spirit of God and are moved by the spirit of God, that is enough well it 's interesting. As I said earlier, who had the Spirit? These people did in Acts chapter 2. It says that the Spirit of the living God descended upon them and 3,000 people came to know Jesus. So it's interesting, the people that were quote-unquote moved by the Spirit, where did they first go? They went to the Scriptures. They didn't say the Spirit's enough. The people that had the Spirit that were moved by the Spirit said, no, give me more. Give me the teachings. Give me the scriptures. It says that this church, this early picture of the church was devoted to learning. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And you can almost picture them, right? It's this idea of devotion. Sitting at the apostles' feet saying, tell me the story. Tell me of this man named Jesus who you walked with. Tell me the story of this man Jesus who you heard and and that taught you and led you. Tell me the story of Jesus that came into the chaos and the darkness of this world and intervened and and brought salvation and redemption. It's a sense of this desperate devotion that that the early church had to the teaching of the apostles. What did Jesus teach you? What did you learn? What did you hear? They loved the story. The story of the Gospel. In fact, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 says, be transformed by the renewing of the Spirit. Or by the moving of the Spirit. No. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It would be men and women that commit their lives to the authority and the submission of scripture daily reading the word of god paul says that is what it will eventually transform the individual it will be through the renewing of your mind nt Wright says quote where no attention is given to teaching and consistent lifelong learning people quickly revert to the worldview of the surrounding culture Where there is no attention given to teaching and consistent lifelong learning, people quickly revert to the worldview of the surrounding culture. This is why we fight for our children. This is why if you have children or grandchildren, that is why children's ministry is so important. But even more importantly than children's ministry, it's what happens in the home It's the discipleship of your child because we are saying this, that one way or another, the culture will impact your child's worldview. One way or another, that for better or for worse, the culture will influence and impact and shape your child's worldview. Therefore, we must fight for the minds of our children and get them to church, and get them plugged into Bible study, and read the Scriptures at home. Fight for that time, because that time is precious. Because it would be through the Word of God that would shape their worldview. It would be through the commitment to the Scriptures and our devotion to the Word of God that would shape their mind, their worldview, and ultimately their heart. And that's what we see here in Acts chapter 2. A devotion. Can't get enough of it. Generous helpings and offerings of the Word of God. A devotion to learning the Word. But not only do we see a devotion to learning the Word of God, we also see a devotion to one another. This early church, a church that understands generosity, there is a generosity of their time. There's a generosity of their, of their schedule. There's a there's sense in which we are devoted to one another. And we see it in two areas. We see it in fellowship. It says that they devoted themselves in verse 42 to not only teaching but fellowship. And then in verse 44 it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts. They ate their meals in common. They lived their life together and only in North America would we believe that church is going to a building for one hour a week and hearing great music and hopefully hearing a sermon that doesn't put us to sleep and then hustling to our cars and never live life and never see each other for the other six days of the week. Only in North America would we see that as church. It's never been defined that way. It was never defined here that that would be church. Church, yes, there is a commitment to the Lord's Day. There is a commitment to gathering like we're doing right now for corporate worship. But church was never simply defined solely as this. It was a devotion to seeing one another and living life with one another and fellowshipping with one another. A longing to be together. A radical devotion for each other, towards each other. So we see a devotion to each other by their longing to fellowship. The other way that we see a devotion to each other was their. it says that nobody had any needs. All the needs were met. It says in verse 45, they sold their possession and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. The church basically said in light of God's generosity towards us, they were... said not on our watch will anybody in our flock not on our watch will anybody in our community not on our watch will anybody in our church go without having their needs met and it wasn't an outside organization it wasn't the government that came in wasn't a state-run organization that came in and said we're going to meet the needs of the people it was the church one of my frustrations just a sidebar is that the church complains about government intervention and mandating certain things, but at the same time will do nothing about the needs of their community and of their people. We cannot We cannot raise our fist at government or big government, but at the same time as a church do nothing about meeting the needs of our people. Somebody said, a Christian political scientist said, if the church would actually answer the call, if every church member and every Christian would actually answer the call to be generous, we could put half the government out of business. How will we respond in meeting the needs of our people? How will we meet the needs of our people and respond in generosity? John Orberg, who's a pastor in California, was preaching in Africa. And while he was in in Africa, he said, I attended the most impressive worship service I've ever been a part of. And he said the most impressive part wasn't the preaching because I was the preacher. And he said the most impressive part wasn't the singing because it wasn't really good. But he said, the most impressive part was the offering. And when it came time for the offering, they didn't pass around plates, but the entire church ran forward. And they danced. And they sang. And John Ortberg said, "You looking around, you could tell this was a church with very little means. But they had an expression on their face, which he called, and I love this phrase, a defiant joy. And basically these people said, by the expression on their face and running forward to give their, of, their, of their offering generously, they said, in light of our circumstances, in, Lord, in light of our plight, nothing, nothing will rob us of the joy of expressing our love towards our God. There is a sense in which when we are captured by the generosity of God, we can now give it all away with glad and generous hearts. So a devotion to teaching, a devotion to learning the Word of God, a devotion to one another... Third, we see as a result of all these things, a wide open door for the gospel. It says in verse 47, in light of their devotion, in verse 47 it says, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number day by day those that were being saved. You see, when the surrounding community of unbelievers, because remember what Christianity was at the time, was this a small movement but the surrounding community when they began to watch a church respond generously and then they began to see the way this church talked and acted and lived their lives giving their lives away for something greater than themselves it opened the door wide open to share the gospel people wanted to know what do you believe What could actually move you? What could actually compel you to live your life with this devotion to God? What could move you to live your life with this type of devotion to one another? Kenneth Scott Latourette, who's a uh, now-deceased Christian history professor, said this, Christian historian, said, more than all of its competitors, Christianity attracted all races and classes Judaism never quite escaped from its racial bonds. Christianity, however, gloried in its appeal to Jew and Gentile, Greek and barbarian. The Greek and Roman philosophies never really won the allegiances of the masses. They appealed to the educated and the morally and socially cultured. Christianity drew the lowly and the unlettered, yet also developed a philosophy of its own which commanded the respect of many of the educated. Christianity was for both genders while its rivals were primarily more for men. And the church welcomed both rich and poor. No other religion took in so many groups and strata of society. The question must be raised why this unprecedented comprehensiveness came to appear to the world first in Christianity. How in the world could a small band of men, ragamuffins we call them, uneducated, no courage, some of them no education, how could they take a message that leads to a movement that would turn this world upside down? There's only one explanation. They saw hearts that were captured and devoted to something greater than themselves and it substantiated their message. When you have a group of people devoted so much to a message that they will actually suffer for it, when you have a group of people so devoted to a message that they will actually lay down their life for it, and no longer live for themselves, but give themselves to each other, people begin to listen. And people begin to pay attention. So what's the key? What was the key for them 2,000 years ago? And what's the key for you this morning? It says in this passage, and we read about it, there was a holy devotion. It says that they were devoted. You know what the word devotion means? when it says they're devoted to one another and they're devoted to the Word of God, the word devotion means this, to give yourself away. So when it says that they were devoted, it means means that they gave themselves away, a radical unselfishness. They experienced a radical generosity. But it says, as I read earlier in verse Forty-six. it says that their devotion led to what? Glad and generous hearts. Wait a second. Devotion means to give yourself away. The world tells me if I give myself away, I'll be unsatisfied. That's what keeps me from giving myself away, right? That's what keeps me from being generous. If I lose everything, my heart will be incomplete. If I give away everything, I will lose the very thing that makes me satisfied. How in the world... Could this church give it all away with glad and generous hearts and still be content and still be satisfied? How is it possible? There's only one explanation. They knew a God that gave Himself up and gave Himself away for them. You see, their devotion was based upon the devotion of God. When they understood the message of the Gospel that God came down and gave Himself away even to the point of the cross, only then could they say, now I understand what it means for my life to be given away. When I understand that God was devoted to me even to the point of the cross, now I can devote myself to Him and the message of the kingdom. In the prayer of Gethsemane, Jesus says this, you sent me into the world, Therefore, I sanctify myself, which the word sanctify means I devote myself. I devote myself to the ones that you sent me to save and give myself away for their sake. Jesus comes down to earth and gives himself away so that we in response can give ourselves away to him and his kingdom. No other religion before and no other religion since talks about a God that gives himself away and gives himself away for you. Thomas Nelson was the governor of Virginia. And as the governor of Virginia, he was instrumental in the Revolutionary War. And Thomas Nelson, when he was governor, uh, Governor of Virginia and fighting alongside of the Colonial Army in the Revolutionary War. It was October 1781. And General Lord Cornwallis was leading the British troops into Yorktown. Thomas Nelson not only was the Governor of, uh, governor of Virginia at the time, but he was also a signer of the Declaration of Independence. And as the British troops were marching into Yorktown and seizing homes and property, Thomas Nelson takes the colonial troops and he points to a house across the river and he says, see that big house, that big house, that beautiful house over there? That's my house. But he said, Lord Cornwallis, General Cornwallis has seized my house and it's now the headquarters for the British Army. But I want you to unload on that house and I want you to destroy it. And the colonial troops look at him and they say, that's your house. How can you destroy your house? And he looks at them and he says, men, fire and destroy that house. The first cannon went over the river, landed in the front window, and blew up the house. You see, it's one thing for a man to talk about freedom... It's another thing for a man to say, destroy my house so that I can achieve the thing that I long for. Five days later, after that incident, the British surrendered and they marched out of Yorktown defeated and they played the song, The World Turned Upside Down. Never in history has such a superpower been defeated, but it took people that we're willing to give it all away so that they ultimately have it all. Well, you see, the message that turned the world upside down wasn't a message that this world heard for the first time 200 years ago in the Revolutionary War. The message that turned this world upside down actually happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus came as the Son of God and said, I will give myself away so that you could live. I will devote myself to you so that in return you can devote the rest of your life to me. And if you're here this morning and you've never received that offer, you've never heard that invitation that you yourself could receive the very one that laid down His life for you so that you might live, then that invitation is extended to you this morning freely. Regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, to receive the generous offer of God so that you too today can become a son or daughter and have the life that you always dreamed of but never thought was possible, then that life can be yours today by receiving Jesus and accepting that invitation. You can almost hear Him say, I gave myself up for you. Now in return, would you give your life over to Me? To give yourself away generously, You see, the kingdom of God, yes, has come to earth. But there's been resistance. And God has enlisted you. He has called His church to be the ones that would give themselves up for the sake of the kingdom of God, that would would co-labor with God in building His church. And to build His church, the promise being, and the gates of hell will never prevail. And this day, and every day since, but including this day, God is longing for men and women who would rise up, for men and women who would say, I'm willing to give myself away. I'm willing to live my life generously for others for the sake of the kingdom. So my question is, how will you respond today? In light of the generous, generous offer of God, how will you be generous? Generous with your resources, generous with your time, generous with your service, and with your lives, fully devoted to the work of God and His kingdom here at Coral Ridge. Let's just not talk about it. Let's be about it.